Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. And I'm Josh Evans. On today's episode, we discuss quarantine beards and trailer life, chat about video games and the ever-evolving technology of playing them, and then Josh floats away in the virtual reality game Lone Echo. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. All right. Looks like we're rolling. Brett. I haven't seen you in forever, so many weeks, man. So, so long. I did just see you on a Zoom meeting, though, and your beard looked fantastic. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> it looked like I, a mountain man. <laughs> I can't believe how many products you need for a beard. I mean, I, I'm like an amateur bearder, if that's a thing, and I already have a brush, a comb, beard oil, and this thing I hold up against my beard to try to shape it, which I have been a little scared to to use because I don't want to mess up, you know, if I get it the jawline too low or something like that and I screw it up, it's like, well, the beard goes bye-bye. Or I guess I can let a patch grow in. It's like a beard cookie cutter. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it's like, I guess. <laughs> that works. What you're telling me is it takes a lot of work to look that homeless. It's well. The idea is right now. It's just I'm uh, I'm trying to like let it let it get long, and then I can shape it. I don't know, man. I I see these like beard images on the internet, and I'm wondering if I'll ever aspire to be that way. Like the guy that shaped his beard into a birdcage on top of his head. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. Or the. Uh, Alfred Von Turpitz or whatever we were talking about on a previous episode Ooh. with the double forked beard. I don't want it to be that long, but yes. I'm definitely going for some length and some girth. Uh, and then I'm going to like shape it down. But I, I mean, I have been using this tool and it does make it a lot easier to like get a symmetrical looking cheek line, but uh, enough about beards. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say before we go on too long about your girth, why don't you explain how uh, the content clearinghouse works? Yeah, so we uh, every week, Josh or myself, I'm Brett, we take our favorite piece of content and we recommend it. So it can be a book, movie, video game, TV show. Uh, we love content and we try to curate just the best, talk a little bit about it. Um, but before we get into content, we like to do a little off-topic discussion about something that's either going on in our lives or something that's really interesting to us right now and then do a quick lap around the content circuit, which is uh, whatever content we're currently consuming. Uh, but we're really grateful that you're listening. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone for tuning in. And if you like the show, please share it with your friends. That's the most important thing you can do. So with uh, all that important housekeeping out of the way, uh, Brett, so what's going on in your life, man? I saw you on the Zoom meeting earlier and uh, it looked like you were in a little tiny box. Yeah, well, uh, as you know, uh, I've lived about six years on the road in an Airstream travel trailer, and uh, for the first time last winter, uh, this winter that just ended, we've been staying in a house in Evergreen. We've been taking care of my dad's house, and by taking care of, I mean we do very minimal 
uh, work. I've been cutting a little wood and doing a couple of things to try to to earn our keep there. But man, uh, work like we yeah. discussed last week. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the beard and the cutting wood kind of go hand in hand together. But um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy living in a house and. You know, we had no idea, obviously, that we were going to be quarantined. So I think it was a really ideal situation. But uh, we are back in our airstream. I can't say we're really on the road again. We are going to be pretty stationary at a state park in Colorado. It's called Rifle Gap State Park, and it's gorgeous. We got here just a couple of days ago, and uh, Bree and I are going to be campground hosts for the summertime. So I uh, work five days a week, got some, some uh, as you can imagine, a couple of duties, a couple of responsibilities, nothing too extreme. Um, but it's, I mean, we have, I'm literally looking over a lake right now and we got two hummingbird feeders up and they've been just uh, going crazy for the sugar water. I wish I found something in life that made me as happy as sugar water makes hummingbirds it's unbelievable. You got to start smoking crack. I it's they love it. What I always thought was crazy it. before when you lived on the road was like how much planning and scheduling went into you living in a travel trailer. It always seemed like cool to have that freedom but also so much stress just to be able to end up back at your trailer when you were done working. Yeah, you know this it the Airstream lifestyle all started when I was flying uh, charter jets and I was working a schedule that was basically two weeks on, two weeks off. And the company would buy me an airline ticket to wherever the jet was to start that two weeks. And then they would buy an airline ticket to wherever I wanted to go within a reasonable price range. Um, so that as long as you gave them a couple days notice, uh, we could literally just travel from anywhere um, and from anywhere. So we could just start and stop our travels. And so we, and my wife would match her schedule as a American airlines flight attendant to my schedule. And and so that's how things kind of started about six years ago. And, you know, we held on to our house. We rented out our house for a little while. And, uh, when the market was good, we decided to sell our house and we never really looked back. Even when I started flying cargo, it was a very similar schedule. And so we'd basically drive, drive around the country. I mean, we've been up to Alaska, Canada, all over the Western U.S. So awesome. Uh, enjoyed it so much. We even downsized at one point to a four-wheel camper. Uh, it's a pop-up on a truck. So it seems like we've accumulated all the adventurous outdoor toys, uh, but we have no land, no property. So pretty much all of our, all of the things that we own, all of our valuables are in this one uh, campground spot in this one place. It's pretty great. I mean, it's it's funny too how we've tried to tried to really minimize our things. I mean, I wouldn't say we're like truly minimalists. We definitely have some stuff stored uh, at You're definitely Bree's like parents tiny house. home though. Yeah, right? I mean, absolutely. Like we definitely have a lot less stuff than I think the average person. But when you live in a really small space, even a small, smallish amount of stuff 
still feels like a lot of stuff because you just obviously you have less room. So you really have to be mindful and kind of uh, picky about what it is that you're bringing into your life. And I, I think that's a good, I think it's a good mental exercise for anybody to only surround themselves with things. I mean, Marie Kondo, I don't know if you know who that is, but sh- her whole thing is she wants to be surrounded by things that spark joy. She's got that television show. She's written a couple books and she has this whole process for organizing. But I mean, it's uh, the minimalist kind of mindset is anything that really adds value or anything that's like functional or has a purpose. Uh, you know, it's a, it's really like a mindful form of living, which that really wasn't what instigated it for us. Uh, it's just been kind of a secondhand um, positive attribute of the lifestyle. But we just really wanted to see the beautiful country that we're in. And we wanted to travel not by airplane when we weren't flying in airplanes. Yeah, I can see uh, that. And it's, it's led to just so many adventures, uh, so many changes. But this is really our, our second year campground hosting. We did this sort of. We had a little bit different responsibilities last summer in Utah. But we were, uh, we, last year we got hired to run a nature center at a state park in Utah. But about halfway through the season, it flooded. And we ended up uh, kind of changing roles and, and helping to prevent the invasive muscle, the quagga muscle, from getting into the lakes. But here we're going to be legit campground hosts. So I think it's going to be a little bit more interesting and diverse our job duties on the camp um so i'm really looking forward to it and i mean the, i mean the park here is awesome everybody's really cool and that's such a big part of it i mean i feel like you know it's it's already such a positive change just being around people it's super easy to socially distant you know you're either inside your tiny trailer or your tiny home or you're outside and it's the great outdoors. And so I've already met so many people and, you know, I've never gotten within 10 feet of somebody. So I, I think this is like the perfect healthy transition to back to some semblance of normal life. But we, we will be wearing masks when we're uh, greeting the, the public and all the, the uh, guests of the park. But, um, yeah, it's been a great experience so far, man. You got to come visit. Yeah, some camping I, with us. I definitely want to get out there, get out in nature a little bit more this summer. Um, we're just now starting to kind of come out of our seclusion, and it's been kind of weird about you know figuring out what we want to do and how quickly we want to reintegrate everything. But man, I'm going like super stir crazy. So, are you guys going to be just pretty much? camped out there for the whole summer or what's the plan like uh once the campground season or yeah once the campground season ends till they kick us out i mean we're thinking it's going to be probably around october um this park is open year round but they only need one campground host here for the winter season and uh, i think there's you know a couple that's done it for i don't know over a decade so we're we're not probably not going to be here for the winter but, uh, you know, we're going to take a day, one day at a time, man. I mean, that's all you can do in life, right? That's the way to do it, man, especially these days. Right. But at least we got our, our warm weather plans are uh, pretty much set in stone. And, and that's been an interesting thing, too, with the, the recent change of uh, our 
travel trailer lifestyle. I mean, when we first, the first four or five years of this, we were on the move. We were not in one spot for more than three days. I mean, we were constantly traveling. Um, now we're, you know, we're, we're parked. So I, it's been kind of a interesting process to get set up because we've always kind of set up our Airstream for easy, you know, unhitch set up, we're good and hitch back up, we can roll out. And, you know, when you're really like sitting in one spot, you can, you know, we, we put out our Colorado flag, we got our hammock out, we got our hummingbird feeders out, we got the coffee pot on the table. I mean, you just, you kind of spread out and you really like make this space your temporary home. I mean, for some people, six months might seem like a short period of time, but for us in the Airstream, it actually feels relatively like a long period of time. If you put a flag out, it means you own the place. That's right. Yep, you're well, colonizing. It's a, it's a Colorado flag, so I, I guess the state owns it, which yeah, is exactly what park. is happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Still going to be consuming a lot of content. You have good internet out there? Well, we're working on it. We'll see. I mean, content is... Uh, it's you king. Know, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. So... I, I think we got it set up. I mean, we've done a couple of. Uh, have you heard about YouTube TV? Yeah, of course. So we got a we got a YouTube TV a uh, couple of test runs the last couple nights. I, I can't say it was any stellar content, but it is something my wife and I enjoy. It's kind of like unwinding, un non thinking content, but uh, the Shark Tank. Oh yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've I seen love it. it man. It's actually pretty. It's actually pretty entertaining. I don't know if I could get super into it, but um, I've seen some pretty good episodes. It's a pretty good, like, uh, good pulls from the show. Yeah, I feel like it's the best trash TV. Or I, guess, <laughs> I guess I should say it's the best of network television. How about that? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's too bad that uh, the Lego Show is no longer on Lego Masters or whatever that was called. That was such an awesome network show. But is that like your main oh, thing right now? Show. Is that your main yeah, thing right now? Watching uh, watching Shark Tank? Yeah, just every once in a while. I mean, it's it's just been uh, something like go to because I did finish Community, so I I'm kind of uh, and we've just had so much to do the last week, just like you know moving our moving our airstream and getting all our stuff situated. Um, so I haven't really started another show. I did just finish a book. So I'm excited to uh, pick up something new. But how about you, man? What kind of content have you been consuming lately? Man, what I've been hitting hard lately is video games, man. I've been playing um, Call of Duty Warzone, which I was always kind of like an anti-Call of Duty guy. There are kind of like two camps in the console shooter world. There's the Battlefield camp and the Call of Duty camp. And I was always like a Battlefield guy until this most recent game. And they just like... They just really stepped it up. I think I've talked about it before on the show, but you know, like just the the production value is off the charts. The gameplay is so smooth, but they have this new mode called Warzone, which is like it's a uh, it's a battle royale game. Which that that idea of a game is you start on a giant map with you know in this game fifty different teams, and then as you're playing the map show slowly shrinks in this game there's like this this uh 
poison gas storm that's moving in and like every two or three minutes the map shrinks again shrinks again so it's constantly pushing everyone towards the center until eventually you get in this final circle which is like the size of a football field and it's however many people are left all fighting it out and then it's either last man or last team standing so it's really exciting oh, awesome but the cool thing about it is that you know being uh self-isolated for the last six weeks you know, I've really like I've kind of found like a crew on Warzone, which has really made it easy to stay sane. One of my friends from skydiving, Jojo, I've, I was playing with him, and he kind of like invited me in to play with his brother and his buddy from back home. So now it's like every night, you know, like getting on and playing with these guys and starting to feel like I'm making these new friends, which is a it's a strange sensation in your forties, you know, making it. That's awesome, man. Getting to know new people, and I'm not like super hardcore into social media, but every once in a while it does kind of show how powerful social media is because, you know, through Facebook and friending these guys on Facebook, I'm actually getting to know them a little bit better, which is, it's really great. It's really helping my sanity. And plus the game is fantastic. Warzone is also free to play. So anyone PS4, Xbox, or uh, PC free to play with cross play across all three platforms man that sounds amazing it's great so you can be on your playstation and you can be playing with somebody on their computer yeah so i'm on an xbox and everyone else i play with is on pc and wow. usually that creates like a real issue because right. they say that a mouse and keyboard gives you such an advantage over a, a controller but right. what I'm learning in Warzone is a lot of the top players play with a controller because there are these really finely tuned aim assists. And that's usually kind of a bad word in a shooter, but they're just tuned really well. So you're not at a huge disadvantage, and in some ways you're at a bit of an advantage using a controller. So it's really neat. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I was definitely thinking of that issue that people... Uh talk about just how easy it is to aim when you're playing on a computer but i never really played many video games on a computer just starcraft back in the day sims and nothing the, really uh first person shootery on a computer at least i can appreciate the power of the mouse but to me the keyboard seems like the worst interface for a video game and i know you have a lot of buttons and it means you have a lot of options but it's just like it's just not tactile, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like something that you should be having fun with. And also, with like a yeah, shooter, clicking a like mouse ergonomic. button. Yeah, clicking a mouse button doesn't have the, again the same tactile feel of pulling the trigger on on a controller for a shooter for me. Oh, totally, absolutely. You know, the uh, I remember those StarCraft competitions that you know are huge in the U.S. too, but I think it kind of started in South Korea. But the winners, it, it always came down to how many keyboard strokes per minute someone was second. capable of. It's actions per, per second. second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, just the higher rate of who could type on it. Just whoever was faster on a keyboard was going to be the winner because it, it always kind of started out with this, like, standard format. But, um, you know, who's trying to reduce the uh, lag time or at least the, the bandwidth is Elon Musk with Neuralink. He just had another interview on Joe Rogan, and he talks about how we're all basically cybernetic uh, creatures with our cell phones attached to our hands, but really the bandwidth is reduced 
at the interface of our thumbs on the keyboard, and that's one of his inspirations to be uh, removing some pieces of skull and putting in a, a little Neuralink device. Ah, it's so awesome. Yeah, it's like what we what we talked about on our very first episode. Like that's, I think it's something you and I have both dreamed of is having some sort of brain interface with our electronics. Me, yeah, what, I, what I want more than anything is an augmented reality overlay. I think that I could die happy if I got to see that in my lifetime. <laughs> I just want that so bad. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I, th- I think we're still, I don't know. He, he mentioned something in the interview that uh, the first Neuralink installation into a human was happening within a year. But it was also, he made it clear that it was going to be like people with a severe brain injury. It was going to be someone that, you know, had some kind of degeneration of their vision. I mean, they're not starting with trying to increase cognitive performance. But that's exactly what, you know, Yuval Noah Harari in his book, uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus, that's exactly what he predicted. The The transhumanism movement is going to start by fixing things that are broken and it's gonna be a slippery slope from there as we integrate ourselves into machines well you really need that you know you need like the the medical and the utility side of it to kind of fund the production and the research until eventually it becomes something that's accessible to the consumer you know it's there's no way justify yeah there's no way something that's being inserted into your body is going to start as a luxury item. Right. Yeah. No, they got to, they got to test it out on other people first. Thank goodness. All right. Well, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back into some content. content. The content clearinghouse is brought to you by best maps ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, Climb every 14er in Colorado or ski every slope in New England. Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. <gasps> Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact... It's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Clear it out. 
Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Josh, speaking of video games, I heard you brought some really good content today. Oh my God. This is something I'm really excited about. Um, So right off the top, I was under the impression that games are kind of a divisive subject. And uh, I was looking through our metrics and surprisingly, episode five is one of our most downloaded shows. And that's the episode where we talked about the TDCS and uh, Hollow Knight, video game Hollow Knight. I'm kind of chalking that up to TDCS being super compelling. Like, it doesn't matter if you've, you know, if you're into TDCS or not, if you think it's uh, a real thing or if you think that we're crazy for using it. I think hearing about shocking your brain is a very interesting subject matter. But uh, the metrics don't lie. Apparently, people liked hearing about video games. So I'm happy about that because I love talking about them. Now, I'm going to talk about a game today, and I'm not going to go a ton into just stories of me playing the games. There's a little bit of that in there. But this is a game that's had this this really amazing impact on me as a human, and it's given me the chance to experience things that I probably would never get to see in my lifetime. And uh, this is a virtual reality game called Lone Echo. It's It was a 2017 release on the Oculus Rift, and it's created by a company called Ready at Dawn. And you've done a little bit of VR at my house, but uh, have I ever booted you up into Lone Echo, Brett? I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar. So it's this... Um, it is a game that's built around zero gravity, essentially. It's a space exploration game. It has elements in a... Uh, in a space station, a lot of elements outside the space station in this, it's uh, the ring of Saturn. So you're in a giant asteroid field and it's all about zero gravity movement. And that's something that I've been obsessed with forever in my life. And it's, it's amazing that we live in a time now where in my room, I have the ability to put a headset on and completely project myself into another reality where I feel like I'm not standing on the carpet in my room. I actually feel weightless, and I feel like the physics of pushing myself around the environment. It's just this this unbelievable technology to be able to bring into your house, and I'm really excited to tell you about it today. Man, I can't wait. That's That sounds awesome. So this space station, is it modeled after anything in real life, or is it kind of a sci-fi setting? Uh, it's a it's a completely fictionalized sci-fi setting. I mean, you're in the rings of Saturn, but you know it's like far in the future, and uh, we'll get into the details of it. But needless to say, it's it's uh it's far beyond what like the ISS is. Okay, gotcha. Uh, before I get into the game, though, I do want to talk a little bit about games in general and how important they are to me as part of my content circuit. Like, I really need that interactive element that a video game brings. I use games as a lens through which I focus most of my other content consumption. So like if I'm playing a military game, I'm, it makes me want to read a lot of you know military fiction and nonfiction, just kind of understand like what the creators are getting at, also what the mindset is of the characters in the game. And this game, like this really got me in the mood to read like sci-fi and watch space documentaries and watch footage from the ISS, people on spacewalks, things like that. Games really pique my interest in a way that almost no other media does. And it makes me want to seek out that material. And sometimes it's stuff that 
otherwise wouldn't have occurred to me to find. So that's why I think it's, you know, they're such an important part of my content consumption. Well, I do feel like it's the only entertainment that is going to increase your hand-eye coordination, at least when it comes to the kind of content that we cover. I mean, sitting on the couch watching TV is definitely fun. It could definitely make you think, but you're not going to be exercising your reflexes or your decision-making skills. And especially when you're playing a virtual reality game, it's it's like taking that interaction to a whole nother level. Yeah, it is. Like virtual reality almost like crosses the border over into the physical realm because I know I have games in VR that when I'm done, I'm like, I need to take a break. Like I'm like getting physically winded from swinging my arms around. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous to someone who hasn't tried it. But I mean, it's coming from like, I feel like I have pretty good cardio, flying in the wind tunnel, you know, three hours a week. It's, it's, it's quite a workout to do that kind of stuff. But sometimes even in VR, you don't just feel like you're sitting there messing around with a controller. You're actually like, you're holding like tension in your stance and you're ducking down, standing back up. It's really, it's it's really physically interactive. It looks absolutely ridiculous from the outside, which is why anytime one of my friends tries VR for the first time, I make sure to record it and then send it to him later because you look like a total idiot when you're doing it. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. But it's, it's, it's so immersive that it's, it's easy to forget all that and just kind of let yourself go and get into it. Now, do you know oh, much about awesome. the uh, VR headsets? I, you know, only I was kind of following like the development of Oculus Rift and they got bought out by Facebook and I thought that was super weird. But uh, besides what little exposure I've had at your house, uh, I don't really know much about it. Like I'm definitely looking forward to there being, uh, it's kind of like a, easily available consumer product kind of like when the n64 first came out like there will be some ar game console device i mean maybe it is the oculus rift and maybe i'm just kind of behind the curve don't play a lot of video games living on the road in a travel trailer as you probably can guess we have to be very selective about what we do bring in here although we do have a nice nice big tv but um you know can't really bring like a gaming computer uh, and uh, all the things that you need to to play a virtual reality game. You don't have an eight foot by eight foot floor space that's the minimum necessary to play a virtual reality system? Definitely not. (laughs) No. So the Oculus is, that's the system that this game was designed for. Um, When I purchased my system, I have an HTC Vive. There were really two competitors on the market. There was the Vive and the Oculus. And the Vive is... I'd say a bit rougher as far as the uh, two systems go. It's There's a lot of independent games or indie games available for it. I think the production values are probably a little bit lower, but there's still a lot of great stuff. And then Oculus is like kind of the more polished side of the VR world, at least it was when I purchased my VR a few years back. And like you mentioned, they are owned by Facebook. But what that kind of brings is more AAA titles uh, but the the system ends up being a little bit less open ended. The reason I got I mean, the you, Vive, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna. I was wondering if you thought that Facebook was acquiring it to build some kind of like second life, uh, you know, virtual reality connection between people through Facebook. I mean, I feel like that was talked about. It it might have just been 
internet forums and articles with people that have no idea what they're talking about. But I certainly don't know if that at all is even on the on the agenda. Do you have any like thoughts on that? You think that's you th- or do you think they just realize the potential of it as a gaming device? Or what do you yeah, think Facebook? I mean, they dropped some serious dough on it. It's definitely for that. Um, I I've never used my system this way, uh, but I have seen like Facebook Hangouts, like virtual reality. There's some there's some virtual reality angle there that I haven't really dove into, but I I know that Facebook has something like that in the works. Uh, that is that is not something that would ever interest me, but uh, that is exactly why they bought them out. Yeah, okay. Now in the That's be- what I had heard. In the beginning, I felt like the Vive was the better system, and it may still be, but uh, it was all kind of based on the tracking. When you're using a VR headset, at least the generation I was using, it used this outside-in tracking system. So like in my room, I've got these two, they call them lighthouses, and they are up in the corner of the room, high above head level, and they project this laser grid over the room that tracks the sensors on the headset and the controller wands that you're using. And that's how it reads and displays your location in 3D space. The Oculus only came with one tracking bay in the beginning and the Vive had two, which meant that you had um, you could set up a more 3D experience instead of always having to face the same direction. And that was one of the reasons that I bought the Vive in the beginning. Gotcha. It's kind of a... It's kind of a huge investment also. It does require like a supercomputer. Like my graphics card when I put my system together was over half the price of my machine. So yeah, it's de- it's definitely not like a uh, an Airstream travel trailer type of device by any means. It takes up a huge chunk of my real estate in my room. Right. Well, e- even if you lived in a house, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's um, really for just anybody. I mean, this, this is like a serious gaming device, um, for someone that has a little bit more dedication to, you know, they, they really want to play VR. They're willing to spend a little bit more. They're willing to sacrifice a little bit more space. Um, so I'm, I am curious because VR is, I mean, it's the, it is the thing in the future. There's no doubt about that, but I'm curious who's going to finally put it into you know, just the right price point and just the right uh, ease of use and usability, and uh, it might be Apple. I've been and hearing probably going to be some Facebook. Talks. You think it's, it's going to be bubble. Facebook? Well, they already have uh, something called the Oculus Quest, which is an inside-out tracking system that doesn't require a computer. the the uh, The resolution and the display and re- refresh rate is all much lower than what you get running through a, a computer, but I think that that's really going to be the future of VR because it is amazing what I have, but it's way too cumbersome, like you said, to be a popular consumer item. I think anytime I mention that I have a VR system, people it, people are like, what, you have one of those? Because it's just like, it's not something that people have right now. Right. I think that's the biggest, the biggest mark against VR is that it's not super accessible. And I know this just makes me sound like a super nerd, but luckily, that's what I am. So, I'm right. not trying to hide that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, buddy. Nope. So, I have the Vive. This game is for the uh, Oculus. But luckily, I've got this hacker program called Revive that lets me play Oculus games on my Vive. And that's how I was able to get Lone Echo. 
So this isn't the this isn't unfortunately the kind of game that everyone will have access to. So I'm going to try to paint you a picture of why this game is so amazing and just some of the experiences that it's brought out in me to help you kind of understand what it's like. And then maybe one day you'll be able to come over and try it out. Hopefully. So when I was when I was uh, researching this game, I was looking into kind of the origins of the movement system because it has this amazing physics-based zero-gravity movement. And they said that one of the big inspirations when they were first brainstorming this game was getting around something called VR sickness, which is it's a, it's something people experience when they first start playing VR. It's uh, the sensation of your character moving, but your body actually staying still. And it kind of like th throws off your inner ear can make you feel like woozy. It's just kind of like, it's like the reverse of motion sickness. And it's it's something that was like a real problem for uh, virtual reality games. And the idea of the zero gravity environment was to help alleviate that. Now, one of the, one of the solutions that a lot of game developers were coming up with in the beginning was this teleport movement system where you would take the controller and point it where you want to go and click and then you would like instantly teleport to that position so it kind of got rid of the sensation of movement mm. i personally skip all teleport games out of principle because they are just so immersion breaking and i feel like once you spend an hour in vr it's not something that's even necessary and that's so kind of get used to it you definitely do yeah you okay you you adapt to it pretty quickly but this uh, ready at dawn you know they were like right off the bat like we want something better than the vr sickness inducing walking and we definitely don't want teleportation so the ready at dawn uh, founder and chief creative officer ru weir suriva i hope i got that right uh doubtful but uh he was talking about when they were deciding to start developing a vr game he said that every time before uh where VR had started and stopped, I don't think any of them felt as a development or content creators that they were totally sold on the idea of VR. This time around though, there was something different about the feeling of presence. And it wasn't just the resolution uh, or the refresh rate. They really felt like they were able to make people feel like they were in another world. So they created this, uh, this gray box demo and it was basically just a rough outline of the Saturn ring environment with kind of the basic virtual reality movement or, uh, or the, uh, the zero gravity movement in place. And they would go into the, they go into the office and they would find people just loaded up in this gray box demo moving around in zero gravity, even though it didn't look like anything great. And that's when they kind of knew that they were onto something with this zero gravity movement. You know, they said that it felt so real that even without the graphics, people were already kind of like obsessed with it. And so that's wow. when they that's when they really knew that like, okay, zero gravity is the way to go with this VR game we're developing. Wow, that sounds awesome already. Yeah, it's really great. And the cool thing now is as a finished product, the game just screams production value. It's got high-end graphics, some of the best graphics I've seen in virtual reality. It's got a sleek and realistic design for pretty much everything. And you have these, these amazing contextual hand interactions with the world. Now, the VR wands are they're pretty cumbersome as far as like a control system goes. They're these, they look like 
you know, it's like a stick with a ring on the end of it. And the ring is this circular sensor bar. And the the sensors, they have to be in view of the base station. So you can't really block the, the controllers with your body. And so it kind of limits the movements you can make. And then the... This uh, is why you have these very strong forearm muscles that you were talking about. <laughs> exactly, yes. So the... Uh, the controller also uses like it's it's all kind of cumbersome i think like instead of a, a thumbstick it uses these track pads that you slide your thumb across it has triggers it has these side grip buttons but as far as like interaction with your hand it's pretty limited so it's really cool what they do with the uh, the hand animations in this game like if you move your hand near an object in the game your character will automatically like wrap his fingers around, you know, a handle or he'll spread his fingers out and place them on the table, like in a realistic manner, like a human would do. And it really helps with the immersion. You know, you, you really feel like you're there when you see your hands in the world, grabbing things in a realistic manner. That's kind of like the, the production value that I think a lot of uh, VR games miss out on because they don't have, you know, $20 million to animate all these different procedural hand placements so that's something that i really appreciated with lone echo it that sense of presence you know it really makes you feel like you're there you know that i could see that i i remember one of the vr games i've played with you is some kind of shooting game and you know you can look at you can look down and you can move your hand controller around and you can like look at uh like you were holding a gun it was some kind of shooting game but you could uh I don't know, take the clip out and load the gun, but it was just floating there, right? So there's no there's no hand, there's no part of your body that seemed to be interacting with this. And so I, I never really felt like I was fully immersed in this. I mean, it was really cool, it was a, but I, I still felt like it was the, you know, N64 stages of VR, which at the beginning is amazing. N64, when it first came out, it was like cutting edge, best of the best, and now you play it and you're like, oh, this is this is cute. Yeah, it's that's that's kind of like a like an issue with a lot of VR games is you have the feeling that you are in this world, but when you look down at your body, it's just like in the shooting game you're talking about Onward, which is this amazing shooter with this fantastic realistic gun interactions. But you look down at your body and it's just like this floating tactical vest. And so you really feel like the immersion is broken when you see something like that. Right. Yeah. This game so you play as a you play as a robot named Jack, and he is a he's like a, a tele. They use him as telepresence robots, but this robot has a uh, an artificial intelligence loaded up into him. So you're basically playing the artificial intelligence projected into this robot body, and when you look down, you can see like the entire chassis of your body. If you look behind yourself while you're floating, you'll see your legs just kind of like dangling out, like drifting in the zero gravity environment. When you move your arms, he'll reach out. Like I said, you know, he'll place his hand on the wall and all of that, like that's the kind of stuff that makes you forget that you're standing in your room with your feet planted on the carpet. You know, it's, it's so immersive that after 15, 20 minutes, you actually feel like I'm floating in this space station and this kind of game, you know, it's, it's the kind of game that makes it so hard to go back to a flat game on a TV. You know, it's, uh, unfortunately it's, I think it's a bit of a one-off as far as super high end games go. 
like most virtual reality games, like the Vive specifically are low budget, like you were talking about with on with Onward. They're like these indie productions. They're the kind of product you might find like available on the Steam store. It's a place where it's fairly easy to submit your own individually created game that you built at home. Oculus is it's more of like the high end corner of the virtual reality world. It's where you find like the AAA titles. And, you know, you would expect that with Facebook throwing all this money at it. But I still yeah. think uh, Lone Echo just stands head and, head and shoulders above everything else that I've played. That, I, I'm super intrigued. I mean, it, that's definitely the issue with all the VR games that I've played, is it just feels more like a proof of concept and it's showing off how cool virtual reality is. But I definitely couldn't lose myself uh and play you know something for four or five hours like you can with i don't know gta skyrim or a first person shooter on xbox or playstation so i i you know this sounds like something that's actually addictive because of how convincing the the movement is so so tell me how do you like propel yourself how do you move around in this world so i'm glad you asked that because i really want to talk about this game I played, I'd like to say I played this as a child, but I still do this today. Uh, so do you ever grab onto a surface in your house and like pull and then let go and just feel like you're drifting and you're like, okay, I'm aiming for this neck surface that I need to grab. And if I miss it, I'm just going to keep on going until I hit a wall. Kind of like simulating virtual or uh, simulating zero gravity movement. You ever do that? Or is it just me? That's a, a 40 year old child here well i i haven't done that but anytime i'm in costco their carts are just the right size to lift my feet off the ground and i push myself and do like a slow motion running with my legs and i glide with the cart and i i've done this for years and i always say that it's astronaut training totally but, uh, <laughs> i think i got a that bit kind of thing from watching uh apollo 13 when i was a kid how you would see them, you know, like they would just pull off a surface and then drift all the way across the spaceship and then grab onto something to stop. And that Amazing always just movie filmed mostly in the vomit comet, like yeah, exactly. mostly in actual zero gravity. Incredible. Which is why it's so amazing that like that had such an impact on me that it became like part of my standard way to move around the house. When I was bored, I would always like be calculating angles, like making like a pool shot from the doorknob over to the uh, the refrigerator, then push off to the back door, you know, like just trying to move around like with these really clean straight lines. It's just... Well, now I'm going to be doing this and I'm sure <laughs> I'm going to get some strange looks from other campground hosts and uh, park vis visitors, but yeah, I'll just tell them to watch Apollo 13 and get some VR Just get your VR set up, guys, in your <laughs> campsite. Just put it in your tent. So that is like... That, pretty much sums up exactly how the movement works in the game. It's all about f finding a surface to push off of and then angling and catching yourself in uh, you know in another location and you get really good at it where you can like thread these tiny gaps and you can like do these redirecting zero gravity movements. It's all just like such a power fantasy that I can't imagine any other in any other experience besides the vomit comet that would give you that kind of that kind of immersive immersive feeling of what it's really like to be in zero gravity. 
It's I really like this was uh, inspired at all by Ender's Game, the book or the movie. Well, they have a multiplayer component in this game that is almost it's it's almost certainly a inspi- inspired by Ender's Game, but it seems a lot like the exact same game. It's like pushing off of these these barricades that are floating in space and you have like a you have like a a frisbee that you're trying to get through the other team's goal it's all like that is exact same kind of play it's really amazing it's this uh, that sounds awesome it's like it's a magic trick you really feel like there's no weight on your body you don't feel the floor under your feet anymore it's beyond any other sensation from a game that i've ever experienced it's it's the exact it's the exact power fantasy that I want when I load up into something like a virtual reality environment. So I know uh, we've talked about float tanks. I know you've done a float tank at least once, and I I had an amazing time uh, with my float tank experience. And I, uh, you know, I I kind of felt like the marketing. Um, the, the promotion that it feels like zero G I, I thought it was hyperbole, but I was totally blown away with how it truly felt like I was weightless. Like not like a skydive, not like a base jump, not like flying in the wind tunnel. Like I did not feel my skin. I did not feel my weight. So how would you, um, and you know, I, I know people have different experiences with float tanks. I know some people think they're amazing and other people think they're, I don't know. They just don't, they didn't get as much out of it as uh, maybe I did, but how would you compare this to the float tank? And did you have that same experience with the float tank that you're like, okay, this is, this is zero G. It took me, I think a little bit longer to get relaxed in the float tank than you did. The first time I went, I had the issue of being like super itchy because I made the mistake of getting the water up on the part of my body that wasn't going to be submerged. And so I was itching the entire time. The second time I knew to not splash the water on me, you know, cause it's full of, uh, this, whatever kind of salt they put yeah, in it. Epsom, Epsom, Epsom salt. salt. Yeah, yeah. So I think the second time in, I had a much better zero gravity experience, but even with the float tank, I never felt the, like the true sensation, like, this game, the stupid game, me standing in the middle of my room made me feel. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. The, the technology is just off the charts. So I want to talk about some of some of the game experience that I had, uh, and some of the things this game made me feel. Like one of the uh, one of the things in games that I usually hate are tutorials. They're usually extremely lame and rudimentary, and they're just telling you things that you already know if you've ever played a game before. But the way they handle their tutorials as useless in, as the instructions. Exactly, it's the first thing a man should throw away is the instructions. <laughs> so that's kind of the mantra I play games by. But in this game, uh, they're handled so well they never break the immersion. And what they do is, you know, you're playing as Jack, the AI-controlled robot. So when a tutorial comes up, this visor pulls down over your face, and you're loaded into a VR training program. So you're doing virtual reality inside virtual reality, which is really cool. It's a, it's really creative way to handle that kind of thing because you're are, you're already bought into virtual reality. So you think like, yeah, I could totally learn something this way. So the, uh, one of the training 
systems you're learning to use is these low power thrusters on your wrist. So you can use them to change and stop your momentum. So in the beginning, you know, you're just at the mercy of push and pull and catch. But then as you start to use these thrusters, you get to the point where you can redirect yourself. So in the game, your robot is just kind of floating in space, but he pulls the virtual reality visor down. And then in the tutorial, you're flying around, going around obstacles, going through gates and things like that. So even the tutorials never break your immersion. And then at the end, it unloads you from that training program. And now you're back into the, the real world, wherever you left off. It's a uh, it clippy from uh, Microsoft word. It's exactly like that. Yeah. You got the yeah. really, uh, you have a really annoying virtual reality like helmet uh, talking to you floating in space. Can I help you? Oh no, actually I don't need any help. This is <laughs> the thing I always dreamed about clippy. I'm good. Um, also the way the game handles death is really cool. You know, it's, it's basically like the, the way that they're going to create any kind of stakes in a video game. And they kind of let you know, like right up top, like you are not the person you need to worry about in this game. There's a, there's a human character. She's kind of like your, she's like your, your handler. She's the, she runs the space station. And so a good part of the game is you trying to protect her from all these crazy, uh, you know, these dangerous, uh, meteor showers or, you know, whatever, having issues on the space station. So, if you ever die, you're basically like you're unloaded from the body you're in. So you might get into an area with high radiation and you'll see like your, your body start to melt down. And right before the body's destroyed, you unload and then you are instantly uploaded back into like a storage locker where there's another Jack body. And so you'll blink out and then you wake back up and you're inside this enclosed room. You have to like pull this handle. It opens the door and kind of launches you back out into the game. And then nice. if you, yeah, that's great. It's kind of like an altered carbon, or it's exactly it's like of, that, like right. sleeve. Yeah, that's very cool. It's really cool. Again, no immersion breaking, which is really important when you you know standing in the room with the uh, virtual reality helmet on. Right. So you can e- you can even like float back to wherever you were destroyed. Like if you were killed by radiation, you'll see the body like all curled up in a fetal position, just kind of floating around, banging against oh, the wall. that's really cool. <laughs> it's perfectly designed. And that kind that's of like awesome. perfect design philosophy, just it just runs so strongly through this game. Like that thread, it just pulled perfectly from beginning to end. Well, now I'm uh, about to order a 8x8 tent to set up my uh, <laughs> my gaming experience here at the state park. Perfect. Um, they're going to be pulling a lot of electricity, buddy. I got a couple generators I can uh, synchronize up and parallel those. Maybe pull some off the electrical grid here. We'll make it work. Steal it from like a customer's airstream setup. (laughs) Um, are you uh, are you kind of in the in the same boat as me? Of like, you can't wait until holograms are a real thing in this world. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. And I'm sure you've always wanted to see a real hologram, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, my heart goes out to all the women out there that receive inappropriate text messages or, uh, you know, the slide into the DMs. They they just get some kind of phallic message sent. 
you know, th- they're not the ones that are looking forward to the holograms. But, uh, you know, I grew up on Star Wars. And, yeah, I can't wait to send, even if it's like a smiley face emoji hovering over your cell phone. I'm sure we're going to find the the most useless ways to use holograms. But, no, anytime in a sci-fi movie I see, like, a map or something, some tactical mission, and this thing appears from the table. Dude, I love it. So you would accept a hologram dick pic if that meant that holograms existed in our world? <laughs> I mean, like any like any good uh, or just any piece of technology, there's going to be a good side to it, and there's going to be a bad side. And and you know, so I just wanted to get it off my chest that I'm I'm sorry, ladies. <laughs> it's gonna have to happen it's, for me to have my holograms. That's right. So holograms, they are all over the place in virtual reality because that environment is just infinitely controllable. You know, like in this game, the hologram is like, it's like the primary interaction with all of the computer devices. Like you have a, you have a hologram projector on your arm. So anytime you get a, uh, you get a message or something, you like hold your arm up and look at the projector and it'll open up this window. And it's, it's cool because when you're done, instead of like swiping the window away, you grab it and you just, and you throw it away and it flies away like a frisbee until it reaches like the edge of the projection. Oh, that's it's, awesome. It's really fun, man. Again, it's like completely tactile and it it's a, another power fantasy to be able to see holograms, interact with them, and it's just like all over the place in this game. Wow. Now the, uh, really like the, the most awe-inspiring part is the first time you go outside. So I have a... Uh, I have a save file for Lone Echo that's right before you go out of the space station for the first time. So if I have a friend come over, I can just load them up and be like, okay, here's how you move. Now just go. And people will just, when they do it, they'll just be lost in it for like an hour easily. And then you bring them out. They're like, oh man, I could have done that for the rest of my life. Wow. So the, like the awe that you get when you see the space station, it's, like I've literally spent hours just using the wrist thrusters to maneuver around the station, exploring all the little nooks and crannies, like flying into these giant engine manifolds that from your point of view are like 200 feet tall. And since, you know, you're, there's no limit to how big your environment can be. These things are like, it's, it's so big that it makes you feel like this little insignificant speck. And then you can look off into this infinite draw distance. You can look out through the asteroid field, out to Saturn, even past the point where you can make out any detail and you can see constellations out in the distance. It's really like this, it's almost like, I've said this before about virtual reality, but almost like this religious experience, how how much grandeur there is. And it's, it's insane that these are the things that, you know, this is the kind of technology that's available in the time period that we live in. So do you get like a sense of uh, post-Avatar depression when you take the goggles off and you're just standing in your nerditorium? You got like carpet and walls and it's so 2020. Oh, man. Well, luckily I own this thing, so I can always go back in. But, you know, the first time I played VR was at the store and I just played some crappy little shooter game. And it seriously had me just like thinking about how real it felt for like weeks and weeks on end, which is, it was like the the greatest demo that 
they've ever done for anyone because it instantly sold me on this $800 game device, you know? It's just the immersion is is so deep. But wow. in this game, so these uh, you can make these long-distance spacewalks out to, like, distant asteroids that are... They seem like they'd be way beyond the play field in a normal game. Like, I've literally just, like, pointed in one direction and flown for 15 to 20 minutes just with the wrist thrusters just keep going and I've never reached the border of the game world. So it's really smart of them to create such a large playable area because it is space. You know, they, it it doesn't, they never make it known that you can explore that much of it, but they just, they knew that at some point people are going to be like, okay, if I was actually a robot in space, I would just go because it's not like you're going to run out of oxygen or anything. So they, they, they build that into it. And I've gone out to the point where the space station is just this little speck out on the horizon. It's pretty unbelievable. Man, that's awesome. But I could, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about moving around in zero gravity because it is, it's really just endless fun. And uh, it really makes you feel in the game that you're here on earth. We're just this little minuscule part of the, of the galaxy or even, you know, of the universe. It, It gives you like that sense of, being a little tiny dot in an infinite play field. Man, I'm excited about this. You've, you've got me like itching to jump into some virtual reality for sure. I can't, I can't wait for the next time I come over. You're going to have to load me right up and kick, kick my ass out of the space station. Yeah. I've got it set up for you, man. Um, Sweet. So I, I really, this game really made me feel like VR could be used for true training of some sort, you know, like training for movement in zero gravity or like training for, you know, military tactics and maneuvering. So I started looking into it and the military does use this system called the, the VSTS, the virtual squad training system. And it links multiple soldiers up in a virtual environment. They can perform combat training. So they have like, pictures of them in their full gear using their weapons with like these virtual reality attachments and headsets on and that looks you know it looks totally immersive like they can move freely in this big giant warehouse environment and uh it just makes me wish so bad that i could get my hands on some of that technology yeah there is well uh, you can uh you can sign up yeah it's just uh just a four to eight year commitment, and then you can maybe, possibly, get your hands on that stuff. There's a. I think uh, the, the military is always looking for a forty something ish father of two. Oh yeah, I'm right in their wheelhouse. <laughs> right. Um, there is this thing called the Void, which I think they have it in Vegas, a few other locations, but they use Vive in a a backpack setup. So you're carrying the computer on your back, and they've you got the headset on and then you're carrying some sort of virtual reality weapon that's like your controller and you and your team can play in a giant warehouse environment where they project geometry and environments so you can move completely freely untethered like my system is tethered to my computer through a you know 20 foot wire but the void like that is i think that's definitely the next step for things like this like a, a place that, I mean, that's, there was a lot of, um, 
gaming com- gaming computer game setups too for StarCraft or World of Warcraft. Um, I don't know much about that, but I you know I, I do remember seeing kind of like an internet cafe setup that, but it, it was legitimately for gamers and gaming PCs. So that makes sense as a business model for sure, because like you said, it's not super accessible to have a supercomputer and necessarily the space. So uh, shoot, I'm gonna have to look that up. That's another, I, I, another I gotta we'll check have to this make. out. Yeah, we'll have to yeah. do that sometime. That's like the next step up from the. Uh, 13th floor zombie shoot right yeah yeah so nasa uses something too like they have a uh the uh dynamic onboard ubiquitous graphic system the doug a classic shitty reverse engineered acronym yeah. <laughs> doug uh classic governmental uh classic governmental idea there reverse engineering everything but right. it uses um it uses the software and the uh, the Magic Leap AR that uh, that Microsoft makes the Magic Leap is like the uh, augmented reality system. So it kind of it kind of projects environments over your environment, and you can see through the lens. And they're using that for like simulated uh, spacewalks and repairs, operating robotic arms, and things like that. I've got some links that I'll uh, share in the show notes. But it's really awesome. it's really interesting, like. There's some real world applications for stuff like this. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I remember uh, l- hearing about something that VR was being used for psychotherapy and you were basically talking, you would like pose a question and then you would switch roles. There was two people in a room and one was like Sigmund Freud and the other was an avatar of you and you would basically be therapizing yourself and your point of view would be switching between your realistic looking avatar sitting on the couch and then uh you'd switch back and forth to freud who is sitting there at the desk wow. yeah i mean that's I, crazy. i'm sure there's there's limitless potential with something like vr because you can literally i mean you could train in different environments you could uh i mean you you literally are building worlds and building the rules for those worlds. But I definitely have never heard of uh, a zero-G space floating game. So this is definitely the first I've heard of it, and I'm super stoked to try it. So as a sidebar, did you see that Tom Cruise is going to be filming a movie in space? What? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, that'll be old news by the time this comes out. But I just saw that... Uh, it said it wasn't the next Mission Impossible, but he's going to be filming an actual movie in space, performing all of his own stunts, of course. That's I, the most amazing this, thing I've ever heard. I, you, well, you know, we, we've talked about, just to add another layer of insanity to this year, uh, we talked about the um, Nimitz UFO incident. Well, I've been following this story of a supposed UFO crash in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And I mean, there was thousands of witnesses, supposedly something landed or crash landed and there was a loud explosion and people heard gunshots. And I mean, this was followed, uh, this was following these orbs that are typical, typical of UFO sightings, orange orbs, yellow orbs, blue orbs that were moving erratically hovering in one place. So uh, as if 2020 uh, can't get any weirder, of course Tom Cruise is going to going to space for a movie. Unbelievable, well, maybe he's man. just getting ready to go up there and protect us all. 
We maybe we've jumped the shark. It's official, man. <laughs> the world jumped it. Oh boy, just just plug me into your uh, VR headset and get me out when it seems to normalize a little bit, which will be never. Yeah. So, so you brought the vomit comet up earlier. Um, yes. So the vomit comet is, uh, it's a the the public consumer version of the vomit comet is a 727 that uh, it's owned by Zero Gravity Core. At least that's one of the the companies that runs the vomit comet. And uh, what they'll do is they'll they'll fly these parabolic flight patterns. And uh, from what I read, each flight is about 15 parabolas. And on the down side of each parabola, it simulates different gravity levels of things like the moon and Mars, as well as complete weight, weightlessness. And uh, you know, it, it allows customers to enjoy the feeling of being in space. And uh, you mean cu- customers or vomiters? Well, it depends on how much virtual reality training you did, <laughs> and uh, whether you've worked through all your VR sickness problems. But yeah, I don't know if you. I'm not knew sure this. that's going to help you that much. I mean, I, you know, I've done quite a few aerobatic flights, and I, I do think you get used to it. Um, but you know, with all the flying and skydiving spirits I have, I, I can only last about 20 or 30 minutes before I'm feeling nauseous. I've, I have not thrown up in an aerobatic airplane, but I've definitely, my last flight, I actually did dry heave a couple times. There's really no it's, way to get around your inner ear. Right. It's just gonna, I imagine definitely. it's like anything though with exposure. I think you could probably eventually get used to it. I mean, clearly astronauts do. So I think with the the right amount of training exposure, you could probably condition yourself to it. Well, I, w- I wonder if you're just in constant zero G, I'm sure it's maybe uh, sickness inducing at the beginning, but with that vomit comet, I mean, you're going from zero G's and then when it's climbing, uh, you know, I'm sure it's multiple G's. I don't know if it's one and a half, two, three, I have no idea, but you're definitely going to be pulling some G's. So I think that cycle as the plane is going up, couple thousand feet dropping a couple thousand feet and i'm sure it's very con- controlled but you know the it's a roller coaster it's it's not always the g-force on you I, f- I feel like it's the change it's like the the addition and subtraction of that sensation definitely and they're i mean if it's anything like a skydiving operation they're trying to maximize profits by spending the least amount of time in the air as possible. So I doubt right. they're climbing at like a, a gentle 1.2 G's, you know, it's, they're, they're probably pushing it a little bit cause they, they assume you're like there for the ride. I would think. Right. Plus I, I feel like I've seen videos where they're yelling at everybody in the plane to hit the deck before they pull it back up. Cause if you're floating, doing somersaults, uh, you know, it's a pretty rapid change from when they start, pulling up and you're just basically pinned to the floor again so they want you prepared but man i would love to do that well i don't know if i ever told you this but uh my wife melissa and i actually had two tickets for the vomit comet for our uh i remember this i do remember this this was the ultimate bullshit brett this is the most disappointed i've ever been in my life so we had two tickets and we had basically built our entire honeymoon around going to ride vomit comet yeah exactly (laughs) and two weeks before our flight we got 
a call that our our particular flight, just the one we were on, was canceled because oh. it had been rented out by some corporate interest for testing. And damn it, Musk! When my on, when bro. Melissa told me this, dude, I could not believe it. I I seriously thought that I was on Punked, starring Ashton Kutcher. I'm sure that reference lands these days, <laughs> but it seemed you like know, I, I do remember the fact that you didn't do it. But that's all that I remember. I did not know uh, if it would was canceled or what. Man, that stinks. It was man. It was it was tough to accept. You know, it would. Did they refund everybody? Yeah, we got refunded, which okay. the tickets that's good. are not cheap. But it no, was no. Uh, my wife was like, "We're never going back to do that again," <laughs> because yeah. it was just it was such just a slap in the face. So you were like. You were stuck with a hotel in Oklahoma, a couple of, <laughs> a round trip ticket. Now, luckily we were going down to Florida to do it. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff to do there. So what we ended up riding or going to do was the uh, the Jetlev, which is like the water jetpacks. That was a pretty oh, yeah, cool consolation awesome. prize, but it was no Vomit Comet. Right. And since... I feel like NASA or whoever this corporate interest was that bought out the vomit comet that day was clearly conspiring specific, specifically against me personally <laughs> to prevent me from ever experiencing zero gravity. Lone Echo is probably the closest I will ever get. And honestly, I feel pretty satisfied with that because it's so convincing. Wow. Plus, you probably haven't vomited yet. That's true. I've got my, uh, my zero gravity sickness on lock, dude. Excellent. Was there anything else you want to uh, share with us? I truly believe this is one of the top five gaming experiences that I've ever had, and it more than justifies the cheap car budget that I spent getting my VR system set up. If this intrigues you at all, look into VR. There are many more affordable options these days, and it's definitely something that is worth your time if you're into video games. Or just visit me at the state park. I will be commandeering a tent big enough and I'm just going to tell them that it's state park business. Uh, well, thank you, Josh. Lone Echo, unbelievable. I can't wait to float in virtual reality. Uh, I can't wait to get back in a float tank. I want to get in the Vomit Comet. I have a lot of goals and aspirations, uh, but for now, what I want to do is thank our listeners for listening to the Content Clearinghouse. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, if you rate and review and subscribe to the show. It really helps us out. Tell your friends. You know, we just started this thing out and we would love to get some feedback and we'd love to get some more listeners and we're going to be bringing some more content your way. Thanks for listening. <laughs>